Welcome to episode 549 for August 28th, 2023, and I'm J.D. Duran. And I'm Brendan Cassidy. Hey, thanks for joining us this week, everybody. On this episode, we will be diving into Fortnite and giving a... uh, A, a commentary, a deep dive, a commentary on all of <laughs> a playthrough, a walkthrough, yeah. and a, and a vocal commentary over top of that. Exactly. If I was ever to do a podcast that would get mm. my son to listen, that would be what it would have to be. It would take that <laughs> for him to tune into one of these episodes because uh, oh, he funny. is addicted. That is his game of choice at the moment. However, I did, it was funny, I did take him to go see Gran Turismo. We'll have a podcast review of that coming out soon, and obviously that is going to be the inspiration for some of the the content on this week's show. Yeah. And it was really funny because there are those early scenes that you see in the trailer where, you know, the character is playing Gran Turismo on PlayStation, and, you know, you see him driving and having a lot of fun and he owns all the gran turismo games one through six i guess at that point or something yeah Yeah. you actually see the collection on his shelf absolutely and of course sam leans over to me and goes dad uh we should we should get the gran turismo set up for the playstation (laughs) and i just laughed at him i was like yeah okay sure (laughs) so i so I, i guess i have to keep my eyes and ears open that what in like 10 or 20 years from now sam is trying out for the gt academy (laughs) yeah who knows you know but it's just funny like that is you know because often you go to these movies or you see these movies and you know that in some way that they are going to be a marketing tool of sorts And you have this PlayStation game where PlayStation logos are slapped all over the movie. PlayStation Productions. Yeah, it's all. Yeah. Yeah. An actual PlayStation. The games, as you noted, in the first 10 minutes of the movie. So it is in many ways a PlayStation ad and not even 15 minutes in. My son's like, yes, we have to get this game in the setup. So it was effective. It did what its job. Which begs the question, with regard to Gran Turismo, maybe we can talk more about this on the actual review of that movie. Does this really qualify as a video game adaptation? Uh, I No, I would say it's more of a biopic than it I is. I mean, it, it is a true story uh, yeah. in its own way. Uh, it just happens to be a movie about a video game that exists in the real world that helped fuel that true story. But it's not yeah. an adaptation. Mm-hmm. No, I... Which, I, is, which yeah. is interesting. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think that's where, I guess, stinking Sony gets to have its cake and eat it too, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> because there is this true-to-life story that just happens to involve another one of their products. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where you know their mark. Like, I don't know how this wasn't made into a movie earlier. <laughs> like, hey, there's this yeah. this guy in real life who played these games and he wanted to be a racer and it's this inspirational story. Uh, why didn't we make this yesterday? So, you know, it's it is interesting in that regard. <laughs> That's true. And, I mean, they had they had over ten years to do it because didn't this all happen in like two thousand eleven or something? Something like that. Or at least yeah. it began around that time. So maybe yeah. they needed some space to let 
that play out. And, yeah. you know, so they've been writing it and getting it in pre-production and all that sort of stuff. I don't really know the behind the scenes on the film, but no, it, it really does play out more as a biopic. It just happens to be about a guy who played video games and was inspired to channel that into something more tangible. Yeah. And it just yeah. happened to be a video game. So, I mean, it could yeah. really have been any product, really. So Instead of punching meat in a freezer like Rocky did, yeah. he's sitting down playing a video game. Exactly. That's his training montage. I mean, it really is the kind of story that every mega corporation is just waiting to hear, right? Next oh, year, yeah. we're going to get the story of the guy who was obsessed with Coca-Cola and had 18 cans a day and then channeled that into becoming president. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Developed so much energy, he was able to run the Boston Marathon. Exactly. That's a better example. So, you know, that's that's what they're waiting on, right? So we need the uh, incision yeah. film film. That's what we're... we're we've got to figure if something out If only our there. birth was a little bit crazier. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's quite interesting for Sony to think about. Absolutely. At any rate, that is to say that on this episode... We're going to channel something that we actually did some time ago. I believe it was episode 179. Is that 2016? Right? I think it was. I know it was in conjunction with the Warcraft episode. Yes, it was in conjunction with the Warcraft episode. I think I might have it pulled up here. Uh, no, I don't. Hold on. I'd have to look it up later. At any rate, you are correct. Yeah. It is. <laughs> The Warcraft episode, we talked about our top three video games that we would like to see as films. But obviously yeah. that was, what, 2016 when that film came out? So That was seven years ago, dude. It's been quite a while. There's been several video games that come out since then. I, I don't know if people know this or not, but video games have been released since then. There's been a lot of talk. Yep. We've even seen some media films and TV shows based off video games over the last few years. So some that were pretty predictive, at least on your side. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to uh, that. <laughs> on, I was going to say, I, I knew you were. That's why I'm being a little bit vague about whatever that context is. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later in the show, but we're going to revisit that topic. We're not necessarily going to do a list, but we'll have a loose conversation about right. some video games that we would like to see uh, as films. So yep. um, with that, though, before we get there, there's a few other topics that we needed to get to. One, we have an announcement to make. Going to be exciting. Everyone mark your calendars. At the end of September, Brennan and I are going to be doing our 2001 retrospective. It's about time. Uh, we typically do these actually right now, like the last show of August, it's, which is yeah, this Yeah, it's one. usually end of August. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually this episode. Uh, but, you know, we're a little bit behind. It's been a busy year. There's been lots of mm. changes to the show. So we decided to hold off for another month. And yep. at the end of September, we will be diving into that 2001 retrospective. So do your homework. Any rewatches you need to get out of your system uh, and uh, be prepared for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's There's coming in a, a month. lot that I'm looking forward to here. And this is... Mm -hmm. A stacked year. We say this a lot, JD, but I think this year, especially 2001, is a stacked year. Yeah. Uh, I, it's surprisingly so. 
Yeah. 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 I, I mean, we go by, like, we sometimes reference letterbox grading as a way to sort of, like, represent how much we love these movies in a certain year. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if I have at least 15 movies from this year that I would give a full five out of five stars to. Yeah. I, I'm i probably right there with you. And, you know, it was And I don't give that grade out very, very I, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. I am very sparingly using the five stars. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I first started doing my homework for this a few months ago, mm-hmm. I had written out a few films that I knew I had seen that would crack my list in some sort of way. But the more I kept doing research and the more I realized what had actually come out in 2001, because there was actually two films because of the weird release structure of yeah. foreign films and some indie films. Yeah. I wasn't exactly sure. Like I didn't associate them with 2001 in my mind. But then as we looked at them, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is a 2001 movie. Yeah. And now I add that to my already very dense list in terms of my top 10 anyway. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what a year for like that 10 might be the best 10 that we've done in these retrospectives on quite some time. Over under since 2007 for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Over under, how many crossovers do you think we're gonna have? Oh boy, in the top five, I would say at least two. That's what maybe I'm saying. Three. Two. I'm 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 thinking more of the top ten because that's more of a like the top ten seems to represent like the final statement that a person gives you to represent how good a year was. Mm-hmm. So if we look at the top ten. Uh, the most that I think we've ever had as crossovers was what was that two thousand four where we had eight movies that crossed Did over. Did we really from, have eight? Was we it had that eight. Much? <laughs> Remember, we, we we sort of copied the whole film spotting technique where we did our outliers first and then we did our oh, crossovers yes, and just kind of went back and right. forth. Yes, yeah, because we had eight crossovers. That was the year of you know Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, um, The Incredibles. Uh, yeah. I think our outliers were, uh, like, I think I had the Life Aquatic, uh, and you had, I forget what you had as one of your outliers, but, uh, yeah, we had a lot of crossovers on that particular episode. Yeah, that was... I don't think it'll be quite that much here yeah, okay. uh, for 2001. Yeah. I, I'm guessing maybe six or seven. Yeah, looking at my 2004 list here, I do recall what you're saying where, <laughs> yeah, we would have had a lot of crossover there. We should have just did a joint list that year. I know. Well, I guess in some ways we... We kind of did. did. Yeah. <laughs> Looking oh, at yeah, this turn, list now, if we're looking beyond the five and looking at the ten, I think there's at least five remote crossover, at least. If we end up having like three or four, I would say someone's lying. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can I can virtually guarantee so again, I'm being vague here, so listeners don't know what I'm looking at, but I'm looking at my list. Of my 10, as it stands, obviously I still have mm-hmm. some more homework. This could change, but as it stands right now, and I, and these two, the first two I'm looking at will not change. They will absolutely be on your list. Mm-hmm. There's a third film I'm looking at here. Now I don't know where in the top 10 it'll be, but it'll for sure be on your list. So there's at least three that I can virtually guarantee. The fourth on my list is really high for me. I don't know where it'll land for you, but I, I, I'm, Confident it'll still be in your 10. Okay. So there's those. And then looking at the rest of my list, there's one, two, three others that I can't say positively 100% they'll be on your list, but 
I'd almost be surprised I mean, if they I weren't. do surprise you every now and then, though. Yeah, that's the, you that's do. the fun part that about this. That is true. Brendan yeah. is full of surprises. <laughs> you, we're going to get to this. You're going to find out that a movie like Shallow Hal is my number two. That wouldn't surprise me <laughs> if there is it something. Is, don't worry, people. It's not. Yeah, Vanilla <laughs> Sky <laughs> somehow lands in his top ten. Like Those are the kind of surprises Again, that he has. We, we talked about this on our latest Patreon content, which for those of you listening, if you're not a Patreon yet, you should really sign up there and get some really fun content that we do before these episodes even begin. But we talked about how rewatches are going to be the most fun to do for this particular retrospective and vanilla sky is a movie i haven't seen in so long that is one i am really intrigued by to see mm-hmm. if that one works even better for me now uh than it did when i first saw it like yeah. almost 20 years ago i'm curious I, I i'm with you it's not in my top 10 i don't foresee it being in my top 10 but i have not mm-hmm. seen that film in 20 years so who knows yeah. what a rewatch will do uh but yeah i I, I will say this, there's at least four that we'll for sure cross over on. Oh, yeah. When it's all said and done, if we're closer to that seven and eight range, I also won't be surprised. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't so either. So we'll see. You know, you, you know what my number one is, and I know it's going to be on your oh, yeah. list. No, no, no. It's, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, like I said, there's <laughs> there's three that I know a thousand percent are on your list and in your top five, not even just ten that are in your five. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So we'll... We'll see. Anyway, stay tuned. That is the end of September. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we get to video games, though, let's talk about the box office. It's been a big talking point this summer and for good reason, because Barbie has broken all kinds of records. It recently just became Warner Brothers. It's a B movie. It's a B movie. (laughs) It's a a literal B movie. (laughs) Uh, crossed a billion dollars. I don't believe we talked about that last week, but it crossed a billion dollars. It's become what Warner Brothers highest grossing movie. Yeah. Since Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two, I think. Yeah. Something like that. I think it's $1.3 billion worldwide as it stands. Uh, just insane. That film is just, it just continues to, to surprise and break all kinds of records. And I don't see that train slowing down anytime soon. Oh when no. When it's all said I, and done, I, I mean, it might break every Warner brothers record they have. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, when I went to go and see Gran Turismo this week and it was on national cinema day on Sunday and I went at like eight in the morning and the place was still littered with people in pink. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Wild. So you're, you're right. The Barbie train is still riding and it's still riding strong. So uh, this is, we have to start seriously considering this movie as a player when it comes to award season. We mm-hmm. really do. And we were mm-hmm. talking about that already, but this mm-hmm. is something that just can't be ignored. And whether you like the movie or not, you you, you can't sit there and say that it's going to be ignored because it, it, this is going to have legs. It really is going to have legs now because of this success. I, I agree. No, I think it'll be a huge awards player. Yeah. Not only because of its box office success, but it's a really well-made movie. I think... In terms of artistic craftsmanship, it should be in the conversation. And also, the caveat here, which will lead us to another segment here in a minute, there are movies that are being delayed. And at this point, we don't know which ones are staying and which ones are going. So by the time we get Mm -hmm. to the Oscars next spring, will there be anything for it to to compete with Barbie aside from it's partner in crime in Oppenheimer. Uh, so yeah. I don't know. 
I, it's yeah, hard to say. I don't know. Well, Warner Brothers is certainly uh, predicting ahead of that. I, th- that. I guess that transitions a little bit into something we'll talk about later with a certain choice that was made regarding another one of their films. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. There is the possibility that we're only going to see Barbenheimer. We're going to see Barbenheimer the sequel. Instead of the box office game, it's going to be the awards game. The awards game, absolutely. Yeah. And I am reading this. Greta Gorg's Barbie did officially become the highest grossing global release in Warner Brothers history. Yep. So. Yep. I was correct. That's a big that. deal. That's, that's insane. That's a big deal. Absolutely and, insane. And on the subject of Oppenheimer, you mentioned. Let's that talk about th- it. This is. We we talked about this. What was it? Maybe last two weeks week. ago. We I, talked. Was about it last, this week? last okay, week? Okay. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. The timing is getting all you know. I know. Uh, fuzzy it all blurs here. together. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um. But we talked about Oppenheimer and the chances of it also being a billion dollar movie. The projections are saying what, like nine hundred and fifty million. Nine hundred and fifty. Yep. You might as well call it a billion dollar movie. That's that close point. enough. You might as well. <laughs> it's pretty. This close. is a three hour biopic. That has what two hundred visual effect shots compared to Interstellar that had seven hundred. Yeah, this is a nearly billion dollar movie. It is absolutely wild. I mean, people joke about it being this movie where people talk in rooms for the majority of it, and look, yeah. they're not wrong. It's obviously more than that. It's Christopher Nolan, mm-hmm. and the artistic craftsmanship is insane. We've all talked about it. We've all experienced it. But when you boil it down to its basics, a lot of this movie is just characters talking to each other in rooms. It is dramatically compelling. It's engrossing, obviously. But for a movie that is essentially talking heads, a billion dollars? No one on this planet would have guessed that or even dreamt of that. (laughs) That is wild. Absolutely and, and, insane. Yeah, this is a huge deal for not just movies like this because it's so exciting to see movies like this succeed. And of course, it's going to be an awards player. We 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 sort of know this yeah. now, right? It's but it's a big. Just give them both best picture at this. Might point. as well just do it. Barbenheimer wins best picture. Bar- um. <laughs> Look, if they did that, I would applaud the Academy. That's something that I think I kind would of would too. Yeah, incredible. It, yeah, yeah, I I would too on that for sure. Uh, but this would also be a big deal for both Universal Pictures uh, or Universal Studios, rather. Uh, yeah, Universal yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, Christopher Nolan as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, and I feel like Universal kind of needs this, if I'm not mistaken, because didn't they also distribute Green Book? Uh, so they're kind of clamoring yeah, for sense. another. Um, yeah. I think they're clamoring for another awards player, as it's been since Green Book won. That's four to five years, which mm-hmm. isn't really a long time. But you, when you have these production companies almost working like monopolies that just battle each other out. Another one needs to enter the enter the race and actually have a compelling chance. Yeah. And you know how the Academy especially likes to reward talent, whether it be directors, writers, yep. or actors for like career achievements. That's not to say Christopher Nolan is undeserving for Oppenheimer. In fact, he's probably most deserving than he ever has been before, right? Mm-hmm. But this is the time to do that same thing. This is the time right? to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, for this kind of movie to make a billion or come very close to a billion, that mm. is utterly insane. And no one expected yeah. that. And you have to reward it, whether it yeah. be a best picture, which would be deserving. Best director would be deserving. 
Killian Murphy would be deserving. Would be deserving. How many at times this point, has he been I mean, nominated yeah. for an yeah. Oscar? Not many, if any at all. I don't think he has been. I don't think he has been either. Robert yeah. Downey Jr., he hasn't been a major player when it comes to awards in a long time because obviously he's been Tony Stark over the last dozen years or so. Although we, I think we sometimes forget he was nominated for Tropic Thunder. Yes, a very different <laughs> performance, right? <laughs> very different. And what that was the same year as the first Iron Man, wasn't it? Was that 2008? Uh, 2008, yeah, I yeah. think it was. So, you know, it's been a long time since he's been in a role like this. I think it would be deserving. I mean, heck, most sure. of that cast would be deserving. And I guess this somewhat ties into another piece of news we want to talk about. Because when it comes to the below the line categories, Oppenheimer was obviously going to be a favorite for a yeah. lot of them. It's major competition was going to be Dune, the sequel to Dune. Dune, Dune part, part two. two. Yep. And that has now been delayed for God knows what reason till March 15th. Till I mean, March we, 15th. I mean, what? we know the reason. Why? It's an unfortunate well, reason. Yeah, no, uh, we do know why. I'm yeah. being facetious, but... Yeah. Well, it makes me think, and I saw someone make this comment on Twitter. Forgive me. I don't remember who it was. But with Warner Brothers making this move, uh, they're either doing one of two things. They're clearing the way for Barbie because they know they have a potential sure thing. Or do they also anticipate, because of the SAG and WGA strikes, will the Oscars get delayed too? Well, that's interesting because we don't really have much information on that as it yeah. currently stands, but maybe they have some inside information that the public mm -hmm. just isn't pervy to yet. That certainly yeah. could be the case. You might be on to something there. However, well, I can't take credit for it. Someone else tweeted that. So, but but well, I thought it was whoever a very made that observation. I thought it was a pretty fair observation. Astute, I, yeah. I do agree. However, they've been marketing this film for quite some time. Yeah. And it's coming out near the end of the year. Award season is in full swing. We know that this is going to be an awards player of some sort. It mm -hmm. seemed to be primed to do very well at the box office at that time as well. Yeah. It just made the perfect sense for it to come out you know, in November as it was slated to. And it's also interesting, ironic, maybe intentional, I don't know, but they make this news and the next day is, here's a massive marketing drop. I was just going to bring this up. <laughs> like, what? Literally the next day, it's plastered all over Empire, right? Yeah. Uh, it's insane. just like the, the timing of that is just, it's kind of hilarious. It and is, I, don't, I, I don't know what the message I, is meant to like, say. If I was in charge of marketing at Warner Brothers, I wouldn't have liked that timing all that much. Maybe it was you out of their hands. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. But that was Oppenheimer's competition when it comes to sound and production design and some sure. of these below-the-line categories. Now that Dune isn't there, Oppenheimer will potentially sweep much of that now you know we haven't seen mm -hmm. david fincher's new film we haven't seen scorsese's new film you know who knows we haven't seen rebel moon rebel, moon rebel moon is going to sweep it all <laughs> rebel moon the creator you know there will be <laughs> actually that, the creator is a very very good one that could potentially sweep i'm curious that, i'm very curious and interested in that one for yeah. sure yeah so we ex we expect we assume oppenheimer will be a heavy favorite for those categories but we don't really know there might be another contender that comes along but 
I don't think it's unfair to presume that Dune was going to be the other major horse in those races. Mm-hmm. So with that being gone, Oppenheimer will likely take many of those categories in addition to yeah. what they may take in the above the line category. So it could be a huge, yeah. huge night for Oppenheimer in addition to it making almost a billion. Maybe it crosses that billion dollar mark. And I really hope it does just to say yeah. officially that it is a billion dollar movie. It would be and awesome. I, I think it has a yeah. chance. I really do think it has I a agree. chance. I mean, look, there's still, what, four more months till the end of the year. I don't think it's going to leave theaters at all, at least not anytime soon. No, and if, and if it doesn't make the billion dollar mark by the time it officially leaves theaters, they do this a lot, they being... The studios, right? Well, re-release They'll re-release it. a movie yeah. in theaters for like a week or something like that just to qualify for its Oscar run or to keep it top of mind for awards yeah. season. Well, it'll definitely and, get re-released yeah. and yeah. in a bigger way, whether it be yeah. the end of the year or those first few months, January, February, to get it back in people's yeah. minds and to get it fresh again as the Oscars yeah. nominations are coming out. Uh, and everything that we see there. So I, yeah, I, I think this absolutely has a great chance to cross a billion dollars. And also, it will get there, if not this year or the beginning of next year, as all these films tend to do, it will get re-released at a five-year anniversary, a 10-year oh, yeah. anniversary. One of these days, it will reach a billion dollars. It's going to get too close that a re-release will definitely push it over the edge. It'll get there eventually, but I think it's going to happen in this cycle. I think it will. I, th- I, 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 I think I it could faith. be anyway. It could get very, very faith. close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're dealing with two two new classics on our hands right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in very weird ways and unique circumstances for yeah. sure, but uh, we, we've got two classics on our hands. Yeah. Anyway. And thankfully, is, they're very good movies. Both very good movies. Again, Yeah. just give Barbenheimer best picture. <laughs> just give it to them just, both. And then just give best director to whoever created yeah. the grassroots marketing campaign for it. Exactly. They, yeah. they they deserve a ton of awards, that is for sure. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on Dune 2 before we move on? I mean, no, you, you I, alluded I, to, we really know the reason. This is a bargaining chip when it comes it to is, negotiations. It is. It is. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll just simply say I was really looking forward to the movie because I liked Dune Part 1. I didn't love it, and it's mostly because I wasn't really ready to say I loved it because the story felt incomplete, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But from what I know of Frank Herbert's original story, and especially what we could potentially get in Dune Messiah if, you know, Denis Villeneuve is able to complete this trilogy, it really does start with Dune Part 2, at least this segment of the story that kind of starts to hold, it starts to recontextualize this whole idea of the Chosen One narrative, which we see so much nowadays to see a movie that comes along and kind of shows the negative side of that, which is what I'm expecting this movie to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm excited to see the movie. I really am. Uh, and it's unfortunate that we have to wait longer now. I, I completely agree. I mean, I loved Dune part one. I, I thought it was yeah. fantastic. One of my favorite movies of the year. It's craft, the, the visuals of it, all the performances, Hans Zimmer's blistering score was fantastic. And yeah, I mean, it left, us in this space of wanting more and i've been extremely excited to see where Denis takes Mm -hmm. us with with the rest of this so and and maybe also because he's planning on hopefully concluding this as a trilogy yeah so knowing that there might be a part three if this does well yeah i mean i'm i'm all for it (laughs) i want to see the the Denis trilogy when it comes to this material so you know, March 15th, I do think is a strange uh, date 
Maybe it's because they're expecting the Oscars to get pushed back. Yeah. I mean, the spring doesn't have a ton of other stuff that it might be competing against. But I, I don't know. I just, it's such a weird time for a movie like that to drop. Yeah, you can't convince me that that's gonna that's gonna be better than if it came out in November. Am I crazy to think that? There's no way. Uh, I, I don't, I, mean, I don't, think I don't know. Crazy. Mario no. Brothers did well, but that wasn't. That's a different story, though. <laughs> like the context is so different. That's an Illumination movie. It was going to be successful because kids. Because kids, yeah. <laughs> I hope they're not making this decision because of the success of Mario Brothers. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, we know they're dumb, but I don't know if they're that dumb. They are. No, they're, they definitely are. Uh, yeah, they probably are. Um, okay, let's talk about <laughs> the next thing on our list here. The trailer for Rebel Moon. I know that you are so excited for this, Brennan. So tell me your thoughts on, on Zack Snyder's new film, <laughs> Rebel Moon. What did you think of the trailer? Can we make this a 30-second segment before we move on to something else? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Trailers, whatever. The movie just looks like a Dune ripoff that you'd see a direct-to-video like, thing in like Blockbuster. Like, 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 you remember like, you used to see all those like knockoff sci-fi movies that were clearly ripoffs of classic movies, and it would say, like, I don't know, like Jaws Seven or something like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> what that? this movie. That's what this felt like to me. Wow. Uh, okay. Now then again, I, I mean, take this with a small grain of salt, I guess, because I'm not really the biggest Zack Snyder fan. I still think the two best movies he's ever done are <laughs> Dawn of the Dead and The Legend of the Guardians. Owls, the Owls yeah. of Gahul, whatever it's called. I can't even remember the name, but I think it's one of his better movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, so I'm yeah. With you. I, Eh, I don't know. The, the trailer just reeked of um, familiar, like familiarity yeah. in a way that felt kind of like, um, like the guy didn't really think he was trying to be familiar. Well, uh, that's so and know. that's where I find this hilarious. I wish that he would have dropped this before we did last week's episode because this is a movie that will absolutely put that theory to the test. Of yes. it's not what a movie is about; it's how it's about it. <laughs> We talked about that so yeah. much. It's an ethos of the show. It's how we look at film criticism. I don't care what a movie is trying to do. I don't care what it's about. It's how it's about an execution. And I was thinking about that so heavily because we had just released that episode last week when this yeah. trailer dropped. and I was, It was testing my patience. I'm not going to lie. I don't <laughs> love Zack Snyder like a lot of, a lot of other people do I wasn't yeah. blown away by this trailer either. However, I do want to keep an open mind because of I'm trying. the same ideas we talked about last week. However, and I don't know if this is just more humorous than anything else. I don't really know, but Zack Snyder, God love him or hate him. Who knows? But he is yeah. intensely brazen about wearing his influences like he just does not care like he introduces yeah. lightsabers into this movie and just doesn't care to make it any different like these are star wars I, lightsabers i don't care i'm not trying to be different I, that's what I, they are it makes me so mad and i don't know if i should shake his hand or punch him in the face for that well and and this is where i think maybe and again i'm presuming and i will gladly change my tone if the film comes out 
and it's different than what I'm about to lay out here. But I okay. think that's where thinking about this film in execution, where it could become troublesome because mm-hmm. if in execution, it is a star Wars ripoff. If it is a Dune ripoff, which is what it seems to be yeah. again, very brazenly, then yeah. I think it's very fair to criticize him even inside that ethos we talked about last week. So I'm simply waiting it out at this point. I, I want to see yeah. what it is, but if that's all this comes to be is a visually interesting at times movie that is ultimately a Dune and Star Wars and even a little bit of Fury Road ripoff going on here. <laughs> Then I I can't say the that blender. I'm going to it's Rebel Blender. blender. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean I guess the title is appropriate. I mean I guess that, Snyder is a bit of a rebel in that regard. He he is a little bit of a rebel in yeah. that regard, but yeah, I mean it's it's hard not to see the influences. He doesn't care. A lot of people ate it up. Um, yeah, but like it's going to take more than that to get me excited when. Like it's one thing to take something like Star Wars or Dune that you love yeah. and you want to reintroduce elements of those films, but you do it in a way that feels like it has its own identity. Movies do that all the time. And I have no problem with films or filmmakers that want to do that. My issue with Rebel Moon is that Zack Snyder isn't doing anything to create a new identity. It is Dune yeah. and Star Wars. And lightsabers. There's nothing to, to there's nothing to identify itself from those two movies. At least based well, off this trailer. Yeah, and also considering the full title of this movie, I don't know if you saw that. It's called Rebel Moon Part One. <laughs> uh, but then there's also a subtitle there called A Child of Fire. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's doing similar things. Yeah. So. That that's where in execution I might find this film, you know, leaving a lot to be desired because yeah, as it is, the Star Wars lightsabers in the trailer doesn't get me excited because like yeah. if you want to reintroduce that in a different way, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But he didn't do that. He just stole them. No, flat out stole well, them. It makes me think: Would I react any differently to this trailer if it weren't a Zack Snyder film? I like would I actually be a bit more agitated by it but knowing that it is Zack Snyder who wears his influences so brazenly on his sleeve to the Mm -hmm. point of frustration does that make it more tolerable or does that even make me angry I don't even know it's I kind of admire it in some ways like to be so direct with it like and and maybe it's the trailer and how it's trying to tap into the momentum that had you know that was Dune that's been Star Wars over the decades because mm-hmm. this trailer makes it seem like it is, it is Dune. Like this is a Dune well, movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the, the thing, yeah, the thing know, that worries no me the most. It. It's no hiding. But the thing that worries me the most to get even further away from the uh, influences that Snyder is clearly riffing on. The big thing that I didn't like about his last movie, Army of the Dead, which I still stand by as my least favorite Zack Snyder film, it was the fact that Snyder was also the cinematographer. Mm. Uh, I, I just did not think that was a very good-looking movie. I, I, I at least applauded his attempt at doing some unique things with the camera as far as the camera choice that he was using, uh, mm-hmm. the camera itself. But it didn't yield 
a very palatable product. Uh, you know, it's not supposed to be palatable, but it's an ugly film in the wrong ways. Mm. And I'm kind of getting similar vibes from Rebel Moon, also knowing that he is acting he, as cinematographer. He is again. the cinematographer. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I just don't think he should be doing that. It's like some directors work best when they don't write their own scripts. In his case, mm. he's not at his best when he shoots his own movies at the same time. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair, and maybe he shouldn't write. I don't really know. I know he's part of the I mean, team, we know he yeah. shouldn't write. <laughs> we already yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that's maybe where I'm a little frustrated because I do think there is, at least at times in his movies, there is a visual intuitiveness that I can admire mm-hmm. in a vacuum. However, I do think that he loses himself in that too often as a storyteller. I agree. And in this case for rebel moon, he's not doing anything to distinct himself. This is placing the camera in a way that might evoke some alluring imagery. Yeah. That again, on its own terms might be compelling, but in the context of a movie that has lore that is so, that, again, it's not even just it's an influence. It is stolen. Yeah, it is that's, flat true. Out that's true. Stolen. It, there's nothing that I saw in this trailer that is distinctive that takes an idea and reinvigorates it in a new way, as a good filmmaker should do. That that's not what he, he's just flat out stealing. Yeah, and it's hard. So it's hard for me to get excited. I, I'm with you. I just I just went on Google and Googled um Dune ripoff movies. <laughs> I'm looking at some of these posters like Dune Drifter and Planet Dune, and it's like, yeah, this is giving me Rebel Moon vibes. <laughs> it <Okay>. really is. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'll keep an open mind, but we'll see. We'll definitely see. I'm, I'll try as well. I really will. Brennan, it's time to talk about coffee, our we favorite re- drink in the world. We really got to stop doing these plugs at like 11 p.m. <laughs> when we should not be drinking coffee because all I, I want is coffee right now. Look, and I, I got some great coffee in the mail. Thanks yeah, to you. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying that delicious Colombian IPE. It's fantastic. Uh, do oh. do love me some Colombian IPE. I, what's great about Coffee Call is that they source only specialty grade coffee. You yeah. know, they don't use anything to you know to, to degrade the beans at all. It's all high end gourmet coffee. One of their newest is the Colombian IPE that Brennan is talking about, and this is a oh, coffee yeah. that, without hyperbole, this it tastes like blueberries. Like strawberries. I know. Notes of peach. It is 
incredibly delicious. Like this is a coffee that you don't need milk and sugar for nope. this. Nope. It is wonderful on its own, you know, because there are coffee companies out there where, and you see this all the time, especially this time of year. And look, I'm going to get a yeah. little pretentious here for a moment. Because hey, you have every right to. You're I a coffee saw boy. tweets from people that I admire and respect going to coffee companies, to, to coffee places, and talking about these milk and sugar drinks that involve pumpkins and spices. And I'm here to tell you to stop it. <laughs> to stop. <laughs> you know, you don't need a ton of milk and sugar and nonsense in your coffee. If you're getting vanilla and chocolate and caramel and all kinds of not, you're not drinking coffee anymore. You're drinking milk and sugar. Uh, and it's costing you Might as well be drinking a milkshake a by that point. <laughs> it is a milkshake, especially if you get a frappe. Frappes oh, are milkshakes. Yeah. It is not coffee. Those are dessert drinks that uh, are not good. Not yeah. good. So the great thing about Coffee Cult is that it can give you those sweet flavors. Like a, like a Colombian IPE, it is delicious. It is natural flavors yeah. in the coffee. Uh, and again, it, it's like drinking like a strawberry shortcake. That's what it tastes like. That description is honestly kind of apt. <laughs> so yeah, it's good. It's the so, most ridiculous so thing to call coffee yeah. is strawberry shortcake tasting. <laughs> but it you. works. It works. It's it's fantastic stuff. You know, this is coffee that is roasted to order, so it's mm -hmm. not just sitting in some warehouse. They wait for you to order, then uh, they roast and ship it off to you. Nothing is stale. It's extremely fresh. It's true, delicious, specialty mm -hmm. grade coffee. So and uh, so ethical, ethically yes, sourced too. Ethically I'm not sourced. sure if it was mentioned yep. about how they they treat their workers very well too, especially women. Yeah, yeah, that is very important to them as well. So that's coffeecult.com. Coffee with a K, cult with a K. Coffeecult.com. Use our code and get fifteen percent off. Uh, 15% off with the code ISF. Again, that code is ISF, and you'll get 15% off at coffeecult.com. All right, Brendan, it's time to podcast. It or is. talk about podcasting, which is what we're doing <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, but we have a great platform. We have a great hosting platform, and we, we couldn't do it without Libsyn. Could Absolutely. not do it without them. Yeah, we've been using Libsyn since the beginning in 2013, Yep. Uh, they're fantastic. We absolutely love them. This is a podcasting service that currently hosts over 75,000 podcasts worldwide. They Ooh. are a combination of liberated and syndication. Uh, they're wonderful. They're, they, they have a, a platform that not only allows you to upload your show seamlessly, yep. they have a system that branches it out everywhere. So you don't have to upload it to all these various podcasting platforms. Yep. Their analytics and uh, statistics is fantastic. Social media oh, engagement. Yeah. Like they help you optimize everything uh, with extreme efficiency. Honestly, like I, I, the fact that we've grown as well as we have over the past 10 years, we have to thank the analytics from Libsyn. Yeah. I think on that, like, like it's just been so easy to track and deciphering what trends we need to focus on. Yeah, uh, and that's something you need. Like you have to treat this whatever podcast you want to form, you have to treat it like a business. You got you got to mm -hmm. look at it from a marketing perspective and Libsyn makes it so easy for you. Absolutely. And whether you want to treat it 
that way as a, as a, a way to market to better your show or just yep. simply do it for fun, regardless of how yeah. you want to treat it. If, if you want to get into podcasting, it's a lot of fun. We love doing this every single week. Uh, mm-hmm. Check out Libsyn. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N, Libsyn.com. Uh, if you sign up, you'll get two months free when you use our code ISF. That's two months free when you use our code ISF. Sign up today. That's Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, Libsyn.com. Mm-hmm. With that, shall we get into video games and movies? Yes. Yeah. Let's give that a go. Let's talk about let's, some video games. Let's talk about that. Uh, again, I, I want to say it was episode 179. We talked about this briefly. We did a top three uh, video games that we would like to see adapted into film. Yeah. Now, since then, well, I guess first, let me read off our list. Okay. okay? Some of these movies might come up. At number three for me, I had this little-known video game called The Last of Us. Predictive. Predictive. is hilarious. I didn't even realize this until Brennan brought it to my attention earlier in the week that The Last of Us was my number three. I went back and listened to this segment. Yeah. And I sent you a clip of it as well. So You did. You could have some context here. When I was talking about The Last of Us, again, this is 2016, right? I was so enthusiastic about the potential of a Last of Us film. Obviously, mm-hmm. it came to us in the form of a TV series um, instead of a film. But at the time, I was so elated about the idea of a film adaptation of this video game series because yeah, it's, you know, it's a zombie game at its core. And I certainly am, you know, I'm not opposed to being in a post-apocalyptic world where zombies mm-hmm. are involved. I, I'm, I'm definitely there for that. It has this father daughter dynamic at play, even though they're not blood related, but there's some sort of redemption there's everything that happens in the opening, you know, of the game between a, a real father and daughter. And at the time I had not played the game and spoiler alert, still haven't played the last of us. <laughs> We're going to make that caveat a few times. here. Yeah, for sure. However, you know, I bring all that up to say that while this was not top of mind for me, when the series came out, was that just earlier this year that came out? Uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, think I think that was just earlier this year. Earlier this year. Yeah. It came out and 
I was not, I, I didn't like it. Honestly, yeah. Brian, I was yeah. not a fan. Yeah, I was kind of with you. I, I I liked pockets of it. Uh, mm. that the third episode with Nick Offerman, I thought was. Oh great. my gosh, that's one of the yeah. best episodes of television I've maybe ever seen. Yeah, like that. Uh, yeah, that yeah. episode was incredible. Yeah, but the, the 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 season that we saw, I think yeah, I think it works better in pockets. I think it worked better when certain episodes function more like their own short stories. Yeah, uh, as opposed to an overarching series. And I think that's it. Like from episode to episode, there was a lot to appreciate that I really liked. I loved the yeah. performances. The performances sure. were yeah. really great. The production design I thought was very good. I just don't think as a broader vehicle in terms of establishing lore and continuing to establish, like they establish lore that gets mostly forgotten and until it comes back for convenience sake. And I just think there's a lot that happens within that first season that I just, it was too uneven and emotionally yeah. distant for me. And that's the big thing. As much as I love the performances, you know, because everything I had heard when I brought this up in 2016, oh my gosh, you're going to be emotionally obliterated by this film or this series, whatever they turn it into, the game even if you go and play it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, on the surface, I was like, everything everyone told me about it, prepare yourself. You're going to be a mess. And then I watched the series and I, I, I don't, there has to be something, some credence to what I'm saying because I'm mm -hmm. still as emotional now as I've ever been. I joked about this <laughs> earlier on in the Patreon exclusive. I, <laughs> I sent Brendan a thing earlier today cause I'm reading, you know, I just finished reading the half blood prince uh, yeah. the Harry Potter book. And now I'm reading Deathly Hallows for the first time. And I, I get to that part where Hedwig dies and, you know, there's a comment about Harry and him reflecting on it. And I, I send this to Brendan with oh, the yeah, crying with, emojis. With not just one, but three cry emojis. <laughs> yeah. Like, so look, I'm just as emotional now as I've ever been. I got you're, two yeah, kids now. Yeah, so if anything, yeah. I'm, I'm double you're, what you're, I was in 2016. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the last of a show just did not connect with me emotionally at all. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I'm so with you. I, I like the, I like, I, I like know. the production value of it. I think it's a well-made I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And look, I know a lot of people loved it. I'm not trying to take that away from anybody. It just mm -hmm. did not work for me. And maybe that's the difference between experiencing the game and not experiencing it. Cause I never did play well, it. Yeah. I don't know. And, and, and that makes for an interesting, not just an interesting conversation in its own right, but also for this particular conversation we're about to have, because you and I are not really big gamers. I, I guess we'll kind of admit that, right? I mean, I I'm think not even a huge gamer in the sense of like these narrative cinematic games. Ironically, mm -hmm. you know what I play mostly, Brendan? NHL 24. That's what I. Well, play. see, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I guess that's yeah. W w when I say gamer, I guess I'm more referring to maybe that particular like this type realm. of game. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 most of the video games that we're going to talk about here. Some of them, I'll admit, I haven't even played, but I know enough mm -hmm. about their narratives because I've seen other people play them, and I think sure. that would make a good movie. Sure, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so, so there is maybe a little bit of naivete coming into this conversation, but I do think it's appropriate to introduce this naivete with regard to The Last of Us. Yeah. Because we haven't played the game. Maybe playing the game would have helped our enjoyment of the show. It's and possible. filled in some of yeah. those gaps. I don't know. Because, yeah, when you're... 
when you're playing a game that narratively might feel a little incomplete, somehow you projecting yourself into that conflict helps fill in those gaps. It's like this sure. weird relationship you develop with it. And mm-hmm. maybe that's something that would have helped us there. I agree. I agree. And I can certainly understand that because another thing I noted in our Patreon exclusive this week, again, patreon.com slash session film. If you yep. want to sign up and go and listen to that, because we talked about the first two episodes of Ahsoka and yeah. I love the first two episodes. And part of it is because I have experience with that character. I have experience yeah. with her, not just in clone wars, but in rebels, I have experience yeah. with the rebels characters, which we're now seeing also live her, in, her, her live action introduction Absolutely. in Mandalorian, right? A hundred percent. So as a result, I do feel like I'm like maybe a step ahead of those that haven't experienced Ahsoka, that haven't seen yeah. the Clone Wars, that haven't seen Rebels, where they might have more work to do to understand who these characters are. I know them. So when I see R- Rosario Dawson as live action Ahsoka with her arms folded and these long pauses, I, that's not a criticism to me. That's the character. <laughs> like that's yeah, Ahsoka that's Tano. That's like fair. that's who she yeah. is. And so I can see how that could be a disconnect if you've never seen Ahsoka before. Right. And yeah. maybe there's elements of that with The Last of Us where I just can't connect with it like those that have played the game. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where that disparity comes from. I yeah. don't know. But I maybe I could see that being the case yeah. for sure. Well, that was a very long-winded way of saying in 2016, you had The Last of Us at your number three. Yes, I did. <laughs> and then I also had Mass Effect and The Legend of Zelda, which you also had on your list was The Legend, Legend of Zelda. Yeah. Of Zelda. Is that something that you still would like to see? Now, we picked that for very different reasons, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Is that something you would still like to see, though, regardless? In the right way. Yes, I would love to see it in the right way. And when I say the right way, I mostly mean Illumination, don't touch it. Uh, That's mostly what I mean. After the success of (laughs) Super Mario Brothers, uh, I have heard rumblings that Illumination is very interested in the Zelda property. Yeah, we talked about that earlier in the year, I think, briefly. We did, yeah. So this could be white noise for any active listeners of the show who may remember this conversation. I just don't think the lore and the mythology of Zelda goes hand in hand with illumination sensibilities i I understood like like, i didn't love the super mario brothers movie but i understood why illumination wanted to make it because it actually does fit in their tonal and aesthetic wheelhouse like it it makes sense i just wish it was more of a mario movie as opposed to just being illumination an illumination movie that featured mario brothers right yes uh but but it does fit their wheelhouse zelda i don't think does now I would still love to see a Zelda property, perhaps a movie in some form. I'm trying to recall, when we did that top three back in 2016, I was I was pretty adamant that if you're going to do a Zelda movie, you specifically adapt the uh, N64 game, Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know if I would agree with myself on that anymore. Okay. I, think, I think with regard to that, if you know the story of, um, uh, of Ocarina of Time, Part of the charm of that story is that it features our hero of time, Link, but it features him in two different timelines. He goes back and forth in a seven-year period. So I was kind of thinking of the Richard Linklater effect. Like, what if you got the, the same actors to play a role and then waited seven years to yeah. finish that? And you just kind of see this sudden shift uh, in this arc. Yeah. Which I still think is a pretty cool idea, but 
part of what I think is so interesting about video games in general is sort of the interactive relationship that people have with them. Mm-hmm. Like, I would, I, in a way, I think I would like to see that somehow relate to the movies as well. And something that's so fascinating about Zelda is the mythology is very confusing, deliberately so. It's, it has at least three different timelines, and whenever a new game comes out, part of the charm is not really knowing where it fits <laughs> no, in with the timeline. Exactly, yeah, because yeah, they more they more yeah. or less all tell a lot, like the same story, but they're different incarnations of the same characters. All, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's got this weird religiosity to it. Mm-hmm. So if you were to make a Zelda movie, my thought would be just make a new original story and then the fans can try and decide where it fits in at the timeline. Uh, I think that yeah. would be a neat way to do it. But yeah, long story short, I would I would still be interested in seeing Zelda attempted as a yeah. live action or even an animation movie. Like Studio Ghibli can do this. Like it's mm-hmm. totally in their wheelhouse. I would love to see it just because the mythology and the lore is so rich and Link mm-hmm. is such a compelling character that I think there's so much to mine out of something like Zelda. It's almost astonishing that we haven't seen it in any sort of well, major way. It's, it's well, it, I I know why. It's because it's the same reason why we haven't seen a Mario Brothers movie in so long. Uh, the creators of these games, as well as Nintendo, they're very protective. They, they're very protective, and they yeah. they have every right to be. Yeah. And to be honest, Zelda is kind of a tricky one to do. Uh, you mentioned Link being a very compelling character. What makes him so compelling is the fact that he's not really that compelling at all. He's kind of a blank slate. Uh, he doesn't even speak in these games. So mm-hmm. there's a, 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 there, there's going to be this fight from fans to remain loyal to that ethos of the character. So mm-hmm. it makes me think, like, do you make the character silent in the movie if you were to adapt it? Like, do you, can you actually pull that off? So there yeah. is a, there, there's a trickiness to The Legend of Zelda that I can yeah. see someone having a hard time with. Well, to, I guess, clarify my comments a little bit, what I find so compelling is how he connects to that mythos and lore Fair. and the aesthetics yeah. of the character. Because you're right, there's not much to him in in terms of characterization, but that's why I wanted to use the phrase, there's so much to mine out of it still. Oh, yeah, for sure. We don't really know about uh, much about him beyond that connection to the lore. And so, yeah, there's a ton of untapped potential there that could be fascinating. I don't know if there's a way to do it where you keep him vague and broad. And ambiguous? <laughs> like oh, I, don't, I, I don't know if that. I would think work. there's a way. I don't know what that way is, but I, I, I mean, maybe, I, as far as I'm concerned, maybe. there's always an answer to a certain problem. <laughs> there that, really is. That yeah. could be the case. I will also say this: if they want to completely manufacture the character from scratch, and while still keeping that connection to the lore and the mythos the same, but you make you know, you, you bring some humanity to them that we have with that we've never experienced in the games. If you want to make that up and again, go, coming down to execution, you yeah. make it interesting and compelling. I'm not against that, but if you also yeah. want to try to figure out the ambiguity, I mean, I'm, I'm not against that either, but I, I would, I would absolutely be down to see a Zelda game or excuse Same. me, a Zelda film Yeah, Uh, But it also might come down to, again, who is doing this? Because as we just talked about with Rebel Moon, Zack Snyder isn't the one that's going to fancy me when it comes to 
science fiction based off of what I saw with Rebel Moon. Yeah. But that trailer I mean, it, it's stealing. It's it's thievery. It's flat out thievery. <laughs> so I don't want a Zack Snyder doing a Legend of Zelda. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, oh, oh. So uh, it's, it might yeah, depend yeah, on the yeah. on You're right. It depends that. on the who. Uh, yeah. and and the what, you know, funding it, yeah. right? So that that's a that's a big question that needs to be answered. So here's another one that I thought of when trying to figure out some new games to bring to this conversation because we talked about The Last of Us. We talked about Zelda the last time around. One game that we did not mention, and honestly, I'm not sure when it came out. This might have mm. come out after the fact. I really have no idea. Okay. But the game is Horizon Zero Dawn, developed by Guerrilla Games, published by Sony Interactive okay. Entertainment. I, I, I haven't played this one. I haven't played this one either, but I think it's really fascinating and has a lot of potential for a few reasons. It's the story set in post-apocalyptic United States in the 31st century. It equally has some really interesting lore that I think would be appealing on the big screen. It has some interesting science fiction to it with these deadly robotic machines at play. Mm-hmm. But there's also a primitive component to it as well as there there are these four sections, uh, these four tribes, if you will, that make up this post-apocalyptic setting in the United States. And all of mm-hmm. them have their own various distinctions. So that duality of sci-fi deadly robots and also primitive living i think is a fascinating <laughs> duality and a dichotomy there and then you have the central protagonist of alloy i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but okay she's this mysterious fiercely independent female character who goes on this coming of age journey mm-hmm. and uh and of course she's also a queer character as well i think that would make it, you know, something very new for this genre of movie. And what I thought about, uh, as far as cinema goes, I think this could be, uh, like this decade, assuming that it would come out in the 2020s here. Uh-huh. I think it could be this decade's hunger games, you know, because okay. the hunger games also has this rustic primitive element with the depictions of the districts. Right. But there's also, sure the futuristic that comes with the capital. And then we have Katniss being our hero of those movies. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of parallels to be drawn between Katniss and Alloy and how we follow them through this journey of finding themselves. Um, Now, I think there's still so much different about the game from what I've been reading that it would not be a Hunger Games regurgitation, but fundamentally like broad talking points you know you have that that same kind of dichotomy of primitive and futuristic setting and uh, a central female protagonist kind of carrying the weight of the drama and emotion right uh so it's something that the studios can use as a blueprint hey remember when the hunger games were huge <laughs> in the 20s <laughs> let's maybe use that as a blueprint but for uh, this this adaptation of Horizon Zero Dawn, which has garnered a lot of praise for its story, for its character, for its world building. Mm-hmm. I've never played the game. I know there's been a lot of talk about it. I know it's received a lot of acclaim. Uh, yeah. But it sounds to me f- so fascinating. And maybe it's because I love the Hunger Games so much that 
when, when I was doing some research and reading through this, I kept thinking of the Hunger Games, that duality, Katniss. Okay. There's okay. a lot of similarities there, but also it's very different. Like ultimately it's, it's very different in terms of the world building and, and what it's aiming to do thematically. So, um, I, I, that was something that came to mind that I, I think would be fascinating on the big screen. Yeah. Admittedly, I'm very ignorant to this one. Like I said, I haven't played it. I know of its reputation. I know vaguely some of those narrative beats that you're talking about, but other than that, I'm very unfamiliar with most of it, but I have Mm -hmm. heard great things about the game. Uh, so, so to hear what you're saying there, as far as the, um, the, the cinematics of it, I guess, uh, yeah. could certainly be translatable. Uh, but I didn't think about that one because like I said, I just don't know enough about sure, it. Fair, um, yeah. so, so going back to my list that I talked about back in 2016. So yes, we both had the legend of Zelda at number one. Uh, I do at least want to go through the other two films I had in my top three. Okay. Now, one of them I'm just going to mention now because some people might be thinking about it and that's Kingdom Hearts. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that is nowhere near my list right now, I'll tell you that. Uh, just given the whole Disneyfication of everything, that's kind of the last property I want to see now. Yeah, uh, a lot's and, changed and, since 2016. A lot has changed. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, like, like that is a game that I don't think could be done as a movie. It's There's just too much there. If, they, if Disney maybe wanted to do that as like a series where each episode is dedicated to a certain Disney property. I can sort of see that working a little bit more, mm-hmm. but maybe not as a movie. And because we're a movie podcast, we're talking about movies specifically. Yes. Let's yeah, focus yeah. on that. At my number three, I had a very, uh, I guess, relatively unknown game. It was pretty popular at the time. It was called The Last Express. It was one of those, like, my dad used to call them point-and-click mystery games where it was like from the perspective of the actual main character. You'd sometimes see like a little hand or finger pointing where to go and you had to solve puzzles. Uh, uh, most of them I think were distributed by, or maybe not distributed, but they were published by Bruderbund, I think it was called. Um, the Last Express was one that I know was a pretty commercial disappointment, but I thought it was a really fun game with a lot of narrative potential. Uh, basically taking place on the Orient Express and became a murder mystery in its very own unique way. But I think there's a lot of untapped potential in the world of those first-person puzzle-solving games that had immense world-building, very dense and complicated narratives. Uh, another one I was going to mention here, and this is the one I wanted to focus on. Have you ever heard of Myst? M-Y-S-T. Uh, I don't think so. So it was first developed in... What year was this? Um it looks like it was first developed in 1993, mm. uh, again, from Bruderbund and was developed by Scion, by the Miller Brothers. And it became the best-selling PC game of all time until The Sims came out in 2002. Wow, that was a long uh, time. And, and, and more or less, it, it, now this is one that would be very difficult to adapt because it's really just one character wandering around solving puzzles in an unknown land. Mm. Uh, but it... it, it it became a franchise. There's a, there are apparently at least five or six of these games. Mm. And remember the days of PC games when they were so big and dense that they sometimes had like two discs. Yeah, uh, you sure, buy like the sure. box from yeah. Best Buy or GameStop and it'd be two discs. The sequel to Miss, which was called Riven, was five discs. Like that's how wow. dense these games were. But Put in disc I, three to continue. It, that That's exactly <laughs> what it was. That's exactly <laughs> that's what it so was. Fun. Um, but Mist, I thought, was always one of the most fascinating puzzle-solving, clue-based mystery games with this fantasy backdrop that is so 
there's so much untapped potential there. It would be very tricky to do in a similar mm. way to how Zelda is because you kind of have to treat the main character as kind of an unnamed thing if you wanted to be faithful to it. Yep. But Mist is something that I've always loved and I've always thought about like if we're adapting all these video games into movies or even television shows, should we not be forgetting about these PC games that might that may or may not be classics? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and 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 Mist is one that I think is I mean, like I said, it was the highest PC selling game up until The Sims came out. So there was popularity there at the time, at least in the 90s. Uh, but I, I always thought there was untapped potential there. I think it's a fascinating story. That is really interesting. I never really heard of it, but <laughs> that okay. is, you know, I'm certainly not against it. That is pretty funny. Look, look it up. It, it, it has uh, yeah. a really fascinating setting. It really does. Okay. Well, so another one that I wanted to bring up here, and this is interesting because in hindsight, if we were to look into the future mm-hmm. and let's say we're five years down the road and we look back at this episode, this next game I'm about to bring up, could this be the the last of us for this episode in what I just talked about? Oh, yeah, about which is the, the most predictive pick. Well, and also my response to it, right? Because okay. I was so excited for The Last of Us of the three films on my list when we did that episode, that was probably the one I was the most passionate about, but I also the one I was most ignorant about, which is why it was my number three. Yeah. The other two films I was very familiar with. The other two games, right? To. The other two games, yeah. Yeah, We're, I know. I'm with you. I, we have this habit of saying films all the I time. Know, all the time. <laughs> I know. I, it's, it's hard to, to break that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the other two games, my number one and number two, Mass Effect. Yeah, I think it was Mass Effect yeah. and Zelda. I had some connection to. I have right. experienced those worlds. The Last of Us, I had never played before, as I mentioned earlier, but it seemed like a JD story that I would love. So I had to mm-hmm. talk about it. This next game I'm about to bring up is the, more or less the same thing. Now, okay. this is a game that had existed, but in 2018. So at the time when we did that list in 2016, this reboot hadn't launched yet. But in 2018, they rebooted God of War. Oh, developed okay, okay. by Santa Monica Studio, published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Now, you want to talk about acclaim. This game garnered incredible acclaim. It's widely Mm -hmm. regarded as one of the best video game narratives of all time. And I was reading through some of the reviews for this earlier, and people were absolutely raving about it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because on its face, it is this huge action-adventure epic revolving around Norse mythology. That alone has me excited. I've never had time to to actually play the game, but if you're talking about a film adaptation of it, yes, that alone will pique my interest. However, when you dig a little bit deeper, when I was reading about this, there, there's a more intimate story here of a father-son relationship coupled with a father who delivers his wife's ashes to her final resting place. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Like that alone. <laughs> oh, you've got me hooked. You got me hooked. Epic story 
revolving around Norse mythology. Oh, and also it's this intimate love story between a father and son reconnecting while the father delivers his wife's ashes, ashes to her final resting place. It just happens to be, you know, the God of war. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like that yeah. Is, yeah. For sure. Oh my gosh. That is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Say no more. Make the movie. I will be there opening night. Like I was reading this and I'm like, this is exactly how I felt when doing research for the last of us on paper. This sounds exactly like something that I would love, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then even outside the narrative, the game received a ton of praise for its art direction, camera work, graphics, uh, the, the music, the characters, the, just the overall craftsmanship of it all. It yeah. just feels like it's ripe to be on the big screen and the potential emotion that could come with something like this. I was, I mean, I was, I was elated. I was like, man, this make this tomorrow. I, I want to see this on the big screen as soon as possible, please. <laughs> I, and thank you. I, I figured this was going to come up. Uh, and and I, I, in my research, looking up other articles, uh, whether it be from screen rant or Buzzfeed or whoever, even collider, Uh, looking up this exact same topic of video games that they feel should be adapted into movies, God of War was on all of them. It was on all of them. And And I I had never played it. Honestly, I didn't really know much. I knew I was aware of the game. You see the marketing for it everywhere. So I knew that it existed, but I didn't know that this was what it was about. Like, I didn't know that at all. It's an incredible story. Yeah, and and again, I haven't played the game either, but again, I'm familiar with the, uh, the mythology enough to know that I would like to see something cinematic pulled from this, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, all games are inherently cinematic in their own way, but as far as movie cinematic is concerned, I could could see the adaptability there and doing something really fun and creative with it. Uh, But there there is a density to it for sure. It could fall into the Warcraft category. (laughs) Uh, So I I don't know. You never know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And look, I had never played Warcraft either. And maybe ultimately that's what, it would be an execution, even though I liked Warcraft a lot more than a lot of others did. It was at uh, least doing but. something interesting. It wasn't always successful, but I mean, again, we talk about this a lot, JD, right? We'll, we'd rather see uh, daring failures than safe mediocrity, and much of Warcraft was not a safe movie. So I, I, I'll what give if, it that. What if Robert Eggers did God of War? Can we make that happen? <laughs> I feel like he kind of already did, but <laughs> sort of did, yeah. So uh, yeah, just 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 make it official. Yeah, just take whatever he did with the Northmen and God of Warify it. There's a father son dynamic already at play. There's of course the Norse mythology. He's halfway there. Just let yeah. him, <laughs> you know, just or stay if you're not going to bring world. if you're not going to bring Kenneth Branagh back to make Thor five, just have him do God of War then. Yeah. Or yeah. you could do that, sure. Yeah, I think I'd rather see Robert Eggers, though. <laughs> I think that's, that yeah, certainly fits fair. the bill. Yeah, same, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at our uh, original 2016 list, just making sure. I don't want to mention too many similarities that were maybe called out on that episode, but going through some of the honorable mentions, I think it was either me or maybe it was our guest Natasha who brought up the, the Nintendo property Metroid. Mm-hmm. I think that's another one that would be very interesting to see done in a cinematic way but again it's kind of tricky in the in the in the the same zelda ways because the main character in this case uh samus aran uh, a bounty hunter who 
more or less doesn't speak. She's kind of a silent character and is mostly alone fighting space pirates and these jellyfish-like creatures that are called Metroids. So there's a sense of literal isolation to it. You'd almost have to make it like a glorified uh, silent film in some ways. Uh, And I think that would be very artful and very interesting. Not a marketable choice, but one that I would like to see. And I have played a few of the Metroid games. I've most specifically invested my time in Metroid Prime as well as Metroid Primes 2 and 3 that were on Nintendo GameCube as well as what followed after that. So... I've always liked this story. I always loved the character after playing Super Smash Brothers for the first time on N64, and Samus was uh, one of the playable characters mm. there. Uh, but there's there, there's a lot of potential there, I think. Now, a lot of it is certainly riffing on, <laughs> whether it be Star Wars or Alien. If I just read the story synopsis, you'd think that is so Star Wars, so it's so ironic that we're getting off the... Getting off the cuff, talking about <laughs> Rebel Moon. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but I mean, like, the backdrop of Metroid references, um, the, the Galactic Federation. Uh, apparently, there's something even named Ridley in it, as if to say Ridley Scott oh, is involved wow. there. It's like, it's certainly wearing its influences on its sleeve, but yeah, I think there's, there, there's a real inventiveness to the world building that I would love to see on the big screen. And that's something I tend to gravitate towards as to what my criteria is here, is is the inventive nature of the world building uh, and how elaborate that it is and whether that can, that can be transferable to the medium of film or television. And I think Metroid can. I think that'd be a very, very thrilling one for sure. If this conversation has taught me anything, it's that Brendan has not played video games since 1997. That's more or less exactly <laughs> what this is. I'm not much of a gamer nowadays. I, I play music. That's I read so sci-fi funny. books. I watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny because like everyone yeah. of his... I go to the gym. That, like, that, that, that's what I do. I don't play video games as much anymore. No, that's very fair. I mean, I don't play video games in the sense of what I think will translate to the big screen as we've been talking about because every list that you could bring up and you mentioned that there are plenty of lists out there on collider and variety you name it there's a list out there for video games that we'd want to see translated to the big screen and Mm -hmm. there are a lot of these you know like a lot of the the story cinematic games that we get today like another one i saw a lot of was red dead redemption 2 that was on Another my list. Uh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was. I, I haven't played those games, but I've seen enough Same. people play them, and yeah. I, I, mean, I could see that really working in film form. There's a mode in that game just simply called cinematic mode. I mean, if that yeah, isn't exactly. begging to be on the big screen, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's a great point. That's a really know, great point. I would love to see that as well. You know, so like, yeah. I mean, a lot of these narrative cinematic games you know, over the last 20 years, I simply haven't had a whole lot of time for that -hmm. doesn't mean I wouldn't be interested in seeing them. I think that's part of the fun of having this conversation and doing the research. That was what I loved so much about doing this exercise with Warcraft back in 2016 was getting to look at these games. I've never played before seeing which ones that I think would be fun to see on the big screen, having no experience with them whatsoever. You know, you know, Mass Effect is one that I've had some experience with, but I haven't played it enough where I'm deeply familiar with it. That one, that's one where if I saw that in film adaptation, a lot of it would be 
new to me, even if I was broadly aware of what was happening. Right. You know, and some of these we've talked about Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, Red Dead Redemption, you know, you name it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just I simply haven't played a lot of these games, but I think it would be fun to see. I would love to experience them on the yeah. big screen. There's certainly a lot of potential there or even with something that I am familiar with, but I haven't played for the same reasons. Something like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order or Knights yeah. of the Old Republic. I never played yeah. either of those games, but those are stories within the Star Wars canon that I think could be extremely effective in the right hands. You know, especially Knights of the Old Republic. That's an era that we've been begging for for years. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, will we ever get there? I don't know. Don't Ahsoka know is certainly teasing that era. Yeah. So it could be something that's coming down the pipeline in the nearish future. Who knows? I don't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, or something like, and this is something that I have played a little bit because, again, our Patreon listeners will know this. I've been in a Harry <laughs> Potter kick all year. <laughs> and if you want to hear me talk about Harry Potter, please subscribe yeah, to Patreon. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, that Hogwarts Legacy game came out, I think, earlier in the year. And that is one that I have played a little bit. And, I mean, I'm always down for more Wizarding World. And there's some interesting preludes like if that was going to be a prequel, because that is set in like the early 1900s, right? So yeah, yeah, you know it's it's before Dumbledore's time, obviously long before Harry Potter, and uh, in fact the um, the headmaster at Hogwarts is um, is in the family bloodline of Sirius Black, and mm-hmm. the character is actually referenced in Order of the Phoenix movie. Which yeah. I I did I wouldn't have made that connection until I recently rewatched Order of the Phoenix and I was like oh my god that's yeah. the character in the video game <laughs> that he's talking about yeah so like you know there's some interesting little Easter eggs like that uh, that can make for an interesting prequel kind of movie that's you know that's not you know Fantastic Beast Fantastic Beast I was just gonna say Harry Potter and prequel world yeah yeah it's <laughs> kind of those are two words that kind of create a sour taste in your mouth doesn't it yeah uh, look Fantastic Beast could have been like I think the ideas on paper are good it just wasn't there in execution it was just such a corporately mandated product written yeah. by uh, we we talked about J.K. Rowling being a great writer in novel form but that doesn't necessarily mean novelists are great screenwriters. And yeah. that was certainly the case with the Fantastic Beast movies. Yeah, absolutely. And that is to say, like, Hogwarts Legacy, the main narrative, I think there's potential there. Um, mm-hmm. it, it certainly introduces things that you don't really experience in the Harry Potter movies. And so I think there's a way for it to be familiar, but also be distinctive simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that you could do. Or, again, as far as narrative you know, storytelling goes. And this is a little nostalgic because this came out when I was in college. So I was able to play this a little bit yeah. was the, uh, the original call of duty, modern warfare games. Right. Right. Narratively speaking, I like that would be derivative today. And yeah, maybe I think it's kind of lost its time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like, I will say this. Like the Modern Warfare trilogy, you'd have to rewrite the story. Like, yeah. and you know, and and certainly 
make it more modern and work around the derivative nature of the the action in the plot. Uh, so you'd have to you'd have to completely reboot it in that way. But the characters of that game, so Soap McTavish and Captain Price, Ghost, mm-hmm. like th- those are fascinating characters that I think could translate on screen in film form. So sure. you can keep those characters. They're a lot of fun. Just rewrite the plotting and the action to and make it more modern and less problematic, uh, less racist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so you'd, you'd have to rework it in that way, but the characters are absolutely captivating and, and I think would work mm-hmm. well on screen. And, and I think there's enough nostalgia there that you'd, you'd be able to tap into an audience and, and get them to the theaters as well. well so. speaking, speaking of characters from video games that we could easily see in film form, apparently is already in the works, uh, is Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid, uh, yeah. so Solid Snake. Yeah, that's another one I saw on a bunch of lists. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and apparently this is being worked up by director Jordan Vogt-Roberts, Mm-hmm. Uh, which we mostly remember as the director of what was it, the Kings of Summer, and then it was obviously Kong Skull Island. Okay, and yes. If I'm not yes. mistaken, it's Oscar Isaac who is tapped to play Solid Snake, which is say no more. Well, it's say like no it's more. so it's so perfect of a choice that it's like, is it is it is it a derivative choice at this point? But I'm sure he like, he would yeah. do a great job with it. It's like it's almost too perfect casting. So I think this is yeah. already in the works, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I do think this is another one that we could certainly add to the list of ones that yeah. would make sense Say to adapt. no more. I, I'd be there. Remember, <laughs> remember when Tom Hardy was cast as the lead character for the Splinter Cell movie? Yes. That was like a decade yeah. ago. <laughs> yes, but that again, that's another one that I think we should also add to this list. Splinter Cell is... Yeah. Uh, Whatever happened, I'd never even heard what happened to that. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to look uh, it up. Have no, I, things but I remember the, the casting because this was post-Warrior. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I love Tom Hardy. He's amazing. Yeah. This would be yeah. great. And then that movie just never happened. <laughs> nope. Did not happen. No idea. But hopefully <laughs> this project you're talking about with Oscar Isaac would be... We'll still keep going. That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea what's going to happen there. I don't even think there's a date or anything for it yet. It's just all like still in production. So that's yeah. all I know about it at this point. Yeah. And, and here's another thing, too. I did not look into any of this. So when it comes to Horizon, Zero Dawn, God of War, Red Dead, as far as I know, these movies may be in production for an Amazon series or something. I really have no idea. Yeah. yeah. That That certainly could be. You know, the case there could be listeners or viewers on YouTube watching this going, you guys are idiots. These things are already happening. And you're like, yeah, yeah that if we have fine. to acknowledge that's that we're we're, we're we're we might be a little bit behind the curve. Yeah, like that's one. perfectly that might be the case. I don't really know. I'm just speaking to video games that we have not seen in film form. And this being a film podcast, that's my emphasis here, as yeah. Brendan noted earlier. And we haven't we haven't had these in film form. And, right. uh, and when I was reading through Horizon Zero Dawn, that could absolutely be The Hunger Games. You can make that sure. this decade's version of those movies if you do it right, which is a big if. <laughs> you know, the, the studios haven't necessarily proven if. themselves to be trustworthy these days. But uh, if you do it right, I think there's potential yeah. there to tap into that same audience. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's potential for all these. But yeah. like you said, you got to do it right, and you, you can't just make it a cash grab. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think we're going to see quite a few more coming from Illumination after the uh, success of the Super Mario Brothers, and I mm-hmm. think most of them will be Nintendo properties, which does worry me. I don't want to see Illumination making Zelda like we talked about. I don't want to see them making Metroid. If anything, if they want to make another property, make Star Fox. I, I, Star I, Fox will be fun. I mean, yeah. basically, it'll be Illumination's version of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's basically what it'll be. Yeah. And it sort of fits that tonality already. So I could see that one at least. Um, well, and that's, a, that's an it, interesting thing because you've brought up a lot of these nostalgic 90s, late 80s properties that you were I think these are the ones to focus with. on. Well, I bring that up to say today, like, are we past the opportunity where those films are viable. Like, is there an audience yeah. there? Because for example, my son who does play video games, he wouldn't be aware of something like star Fox, for example, or even Zelda. Yeah. I don't even know if he knows Zelda. I mean, Mar- Zel- super Mario brothers has transcended to uh, a completely different stratosphere, right? Like they're, well, they're like I would, a God tier level. And I would, of- Awareness. I would argue I would argue Zelda is in that same category because okay. we've had two Zelda games over the past few years, one of them coming out this year, uh, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, that are being hailed as perhaps the two greatest Zelda games of all time. So so it's still very okay. top of mind. I mean, that's look, my household may be a singular outlier in all of that. I'm <laughs> certainly willing to admit that. Uh, because we don't play Zelda, my son doesn't play. Do you Zelda. have a Nintendo console? No, we he, we have PlayStation there, yeah. and Xbox, and we play both. He plays and, both. And and most of these uh, uh, properties, like Zelda, for instance, they're Nintendo exclusives, so you can yeah. only play it on those systems. So he has a Nintendo Switch, but again, well, okay. the one game he has is Super Mario Kart. So like you know, yeah. super like Mario, I think is is such a a different animal. Zelda might be close. Again, my household well, might not be indicative of what reality is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder about other properties, especially 90s, 80s properties, video games. I, I, I would is, say, Is, is yeah. the younger audience there for them? Well, I don't know. Or is it I a think, nostalgic getting us to the theater to see them? Well, and I think that's where you got to pick and choose to try and find who the right audience is, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're definitely right that I think Mario is probably the most, um, it, it's it's the most universal of mm-hmm. all of these Nintendo properties, at least, that certainly had their fair share of popularity from the 80s and 90s. Mario definitely exists very heavily. And maybe even Sonic the Hedgehog kind of exists Sonic, in the same world, yeah. too. Well, um, and that's a good point, because yeah. Sonic just had their two movies, and Sam mm-hmm. loved them both, and yeah. he I don't think he's played those games at all, so I don't yeah. know. That yeah. might be a good point, yeah. actually. But, but Zelda definitely is more of a specific audience and not like age demographic wise. It's, it, it's a different type of game, especially these new Zelda games. It takes patience. A lot of times it's just very open world. So it's a very different type of playability. Uh, and that's not to say Sam would like it or even not like it. It's just, it's a very different mindset. It's not yeah. as, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's not as quick. Uh, so, so yeah. it has a very particular audience for that game type. I mean, if they're going to tap into a market that is extreme right now, it 
I mean, we joke about it, but it would be Fortnite. Like, I don't know how you turn Fortnite into a movie. I don't know. My God, uh, (laughs) that game is so extremely prevalent at the moment. (laughs) It is so big. Yeah. Uh, Like, again, I don't know how you turn that into a movie, but the amount of content that there is right now for Fortnite, and it's so huge that 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 would be a way to tap into the youths, as they say. The youths. <laughs> the youths. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. So, uh, you know, just throwing that out there as well. Any other video games you want to mention here? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I'm looking back at my list of ones that I referenced during our uh, 2016 episode. And I par- apparently I the went Oregon all the way Trail. back. To, I was just going to say yeah. the Oregon Trail. That is, that's actually not a bad one. Like, well, like, you know, so it's it's it is something I mentioned as, you know, cuz I wanted to have that on my list the last time uh-huh. we did this, but at the time, we were actually just a few years removed from Meek's Cutoff, uh the Kelly Reichardt film, and Meek's Fair. Cutoff is Fair. essentially the Oregon Trail with a different yeah. name. But that's yeah. what that is. And yeah. at the time, we were just a few years removed, so I was like, I don't know if we need an Oregon Trail movie right now. However, mm-hmm. we're now 12 years removed from that film to have another Oregon Trail-esque movie. You know, sure. I, I think yeah, t- the time I just, is right now. Hey, all I know is that whenever I see a potential future Oregon Trail movie, I'm just going to think about how great Meek's Cutoff was. I know. I will always <laughs> go back to that. Meek's yeah. Cutoff will be the quintessential version of that game. <laughs> no at, doubt about it. At times, I think you it know. is my favorite Kelly Reichardt film. It's, it's at least so top good. three for yeah, me. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I, I mean, it's absolutely between, It's between it. that, First Cow, and Wendy and Lucy. I think yeah. those are her three masterpieces. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, as far as other video games, um, looking at this list, I'm actually kind of surprised we never saw any attempt at Grand Theft Auto. Uh, yeah, I feel like there was I, a lot of untapped potential there for sure. Especially with Fast and the Furious, I know it's different, but I feel like the yeah. same audience would cross over there. Yeah, and they've never, <laughs> never even attempted that yeah. at all, as far as yeah. I know. Anyway, right? I, I wonder why. Maybe they did try in pre-production and it just didn't get anywhere. I, I don't yeah. know, but. I don't know. I wonder why, but maybe maybe our listeners might know some of the history as to why it never came into fruition. Yeah. At any rate, I would love to know what our listeners are thinking here. Yes. If they agree or disagree with anything we had to say. Let us know what video games we missed out on that we should have talked about. There are a lot. We know. There are a lot. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Email us in sessionfilm at gmail.com. Uh, as we wind down here, it is also David Fincher's birthday. Happy birthday, it is. Mr. Fincher. Mr. Finch. Uh, there there was a new poster released today for his new film coming out this fall. Hopefully it still comes out. It is called The Killer. <laughs> Any thoughts on the poster for The Killer? I mean, gets me excited for the movie. So the poster it's does Fincher. what it needs to do. Yeah. Heck yeah. Weirdly, the thing that I'm most excited for with this movie is... Yes, I'm excited to see David Fincher make a movie again. I'm also yes. excited to see him work with Michael Fassbender. Yes. But the screenwriter, Andrew Kevin Walker, last time they worked together, they being Walker and Fincher, was seven. Mm. Okay. So I, 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 does this mean we're getting a more, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, disgusting Fincher film, uh, violently depraved film, which, to be fair, like some of his 
recent films have still been that in their own way. He he basically makes art house trash, as many people call yeah. it. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure the killer will still fall into that same category. But for the last couple of years, he's mostly been adapting what many people call airport novels, right? Yeah, uh, like, like Gone Girl, for instance, uh, or The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. And he did that for a while. Is it maybe time to go back to basics a little bit? Uh, I, I, I'm not saying he needs to, but that's a nice, interesting change of pace if that's what he's choosing to do. Yeah, I'm not really sure. The synopsis here by Netflix says, after a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. I mean, that sounds wow, this, pretty Fincher just, to me. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, this basically sounds like David Fincher doing Taken. A little bit. Like, I read that as a little bit of both. Like, it's it's drama, intense Fincher, but also a little mm. bit of the airport novel thing. Like, I, yeah, I, I yeah. think that insists a little bit of both. <laughs> I mean, we know whenever, whenever David Fincher tries his hand at a certain genre, I think he's going to do a very good job with it because this very much sounds like another one of those insert famous actor with a gun kind of movies. Uh-huh. Uh, but weirdly, I think Fincher's the perfect director to try that. Uh, yeah. I, I could see him doing something really neat with it. I agree. And as you noted, Fastbender, I'm so happy that he's back. Mm-hmm. We really haven't seen him do much over these last few years. I know he has the Watiti film that's supposedly coming out. I think that is premiering at yes. Venice. I think one it is of, one of the fil- yeah. festivals yeah. we're getting ne- next goal in wins. September. That's yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So right. we're getting that and and the killer. We're getting two fast benders this year. Unbelievable! Wow, I'm just wow, so we're happy we're, that we're, he's back. we're fast bending this year. We're fast bending. It's it's about damn time. <laughs> his last movie was them. his last movie was Dark Phoenix. Yeah, and before that was The Snowman. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, before look. that, before that was Alien Covenant. Yeah, look, my man's been on a little bit of. A, he needs a pick me up. Like he does. <laughs> there's probably a reason he went away for a few years. He was downtrodden. <laughs> We're making these bad movies. I gotta gotta make. I will say, here. I I'm I'm warming up to Alien Covenant as time goes on. I really am. I think it was rewatching Prometheus and me liking that movie even less made me realize. You know, I think I'm liking Covenant more. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I'll, ju- I, I'll just say that. I'll say that. I just. I can't get behind it. I can't get behind it as much as I love Ridley. I just can't get behind those movies. And how uneven I, they are. I gave it a different perspective that the movie is just this mean spirited, ugly thing, and I started to appreciate it more. Yeah, I think that's fair. If you certainly embrace its bleakness and its mean spirited ethos, then maybe there's something to appreciate. But I, well, I, because it's just I think also that's what Prome- so contrived. And well, I think that's what Prometheus was. Execution. I think that's what Prometheus was trying to do and fails. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this, this very cynical representation of humanity, uh, and I and I think Covenant, I think it certainly succeeds at that more mm-hmm. than Prometheus. I'll simply say, yeah, I think in both iterations, I think Ridley Scott either needed to commit to the philosophizing or commit to being a trashy sci-fi film, mm-hmm. and not try to do both. Fair. To me, yeah, I think that's fair. where why those films falter, both of them. Uh, yeah, not not a huge fan, but that is to say, yeah. Fastbender. Glad he's Fastbender. He's a good actor. He's, back. he's a good actor. 
Uh, at any rate, I think that'll do it for this week's show. Woo. Um, man, we, we went through a lot there. We uh, did. Big thank you to our patrons. Again, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash in session film. This week's Patreon exclusive is the longest one we've done yet. It was a lot <laughs> of fun, the, though. I think the timestamp uh, was like 45 minutes or something like that. It was a lot of fun. We talked a little bit of Soko. We went a little deeper into our announcement on um, our 2001 retrospective that we're going to do next month. Mm-hmm. Of course, we talked some Harry Potter book. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great time. So please go and check that out. Again, that's patreon.com slash session film. Thank you to all of our patrons. Podcast reviews. Let's see. We have a review for Blue Beetle that we did last week with Russell yep. Para. It's up. Please go and check it out. Um, This last week, I got to do a review of Passages, the Iris Sachs film. And yeah. Josh Parham from Next Best Picture joined me for that. We had a great time talking about that movie. Brendan, I am so excited for you to see this movie. Wow, wow. I cannot wait. That means something. When you thoughts. say it like that, That that's that's really meaning something. Cannot wait to hear your thoughts. I talked about this in the review, but it was the it's the first time we've seen Adele Exarchopoulos in a prevalent way. You know, mm, she since yeah. then, she hasn't done much. Um, aside, she's done a few French films, but yeah. they haven't really made their way to the United States. I've heard she's been good in them, but yeah, we I, not haven't really been able to get our hands on them. Um, you know, like in the first four or five years after Blue, she did some supporting roles, and I did get to see her in in a few of those, like The White Crow. I don't know if you remember that one, Racer and Jailbird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, like I, I remember these, those names. <laughs> She had these small supporting roles in uh, in those movies. But I think it's fair to say, especially this being an Ira Sachs film, uh, it, and this is the most accessible film of hers we've had since Blue is the Warmest Color. And it's and, it, and she's a prevalent character. She's one of the main characters. Yeah. And it also stars Franz Rogowski, one of the oh, best our boy. actors our boy. on the planet right now. Seeing them together, oh, such a treat. It's, and Ben Michal, <laughs> oh my gosh, incredible. Wow, what so, a cast. Yeah. What a cast. We, Josh and I had a great time talking about that movie. I'll, I'll just I blame say you. So please yeah. go and check it out. I'm so fascinated to hear your thoughts on it as well, Brendan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, we will have a review for Gran Turismo coming out very soon. Yep. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it might already be out. So definitely go uh, and check that out or be on the lookout for it. If it's not yep. dropped, it will be very, very soon. Uh, on our latest Women in Session, uh, our, our very own MN Miller joined Kristen Battistella to talk about Christopher Nolan's Memento. Speaking of yeah. 2001, a fun little tie-in there. Uh, so uh, go and check that out. That was a really great time. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Google Plus. I'm just kidding about that last one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we're everywhere. Go and check us out. Email us in sessionfilm at gmail.com. Leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, leave a comment, all that fun jazz. Brennan, any final thoughts before we get out of here, my friend? Well, if we want to provide one more incentive once again for all of our listeners out there to become patrons at patreon.com slash film, we talked about gearing up for our 2001 retrospective, maybe giving some homework updates on some of the uh, weeks leading yes. up to that retrospective, which we did a little bit of on our latest Patreon content. And honestly, that was a lot of fun. 
It was fun. Getting yeah. it because obviously we're more condensed for time with this new format. So when we get to that actual retrospective, there's not going to be as much room to be bouncing off from film to film like we normally do. We yep. don't have the two and a half hour time frame as much anymore. Yep. Um, yep. So it's it's going to make those Patreon catch-ups, if you will, kind of crucial. Yeah. Uh, so just throwing that out there. If you want to yep. become a Patreon, get some exclusive content. That's Ab- something we're going to be doing there. Absolutely. We'll be talking more about that. I'll be raving more about my Harry Potter experience. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really nice place for us to talk about our progress as we kind of go through this homework. So yeah. Um, and all and a bunch of other fun conversations. So again, patreon.com slash and such film sign up. You can sign up for as low as a dollar a month. And you get access to all this bonus content. So yeah, and it really helps out the show. We really do appreciate everyone that is uh, that is helping us out over there. Absolutely. Um, with all of that said, we hope you enjoyed the episode as we veer into September and the fall season begins, and also college football. Mm, I am so <laughs> excited for that as well. It's that yeah. time of year, Brennan. Uh, it, I'm, I'm it ready to be time. done with summer. We're getting <laughs> I'm ready close. to be done. We're getting close. Ooh. Absolutely. At any rate, thanks the for the big listening. eighteen coming at it. <laughs> thanks for watching, everybody. We will see you next time on the In Session Film Podcast. Oh man. Yeah. You gotta play more video games, man. I know, right? <laughs>